Hi friends and welcome to the podcast. Here we are on episode 34 and continuing our series, our little series into the life of David. And uh, we're framing this from the perspective of looking at some of the Psalms that are attributed to him, particularly those that have an introduction that then puts David in a particular historical narrative and situation that we can then uh, retrace through some of the historical books of the Old Testament and start to unpack some of the emotions, some of the feelings, some of the um, the pressures and challenges that David is going through, um, how he responds to those and what we can take uh, for ourselves out of some of these stories and apply them into our own lives as we move forward on the journey of um, following Christ and uh, looking at what it really means to engage in um, the, the beauty of human flourishing. So last time we'd left David, um, he was just saying goodbye to his very best of friends, Jonathan. And he finds himself in this lonely, um, fearful situation, having got King Saul chasing him down to try and take his life. David is a fugitive on the run. And this has been confirmed to him now through a little plot that he and Jonathan laid. And uh, after this uh, confirmation, then Jonathan and David part ways and David is is left alone. He's left alone with his fears, uh, with his thoughts and with the worry that this very powerful man is trying to take his life. And um, I guess this is a situation in in different ways that, that we all experience at one way, one time or another, where where we're just left alone uh, with our own thoughts, uh, with our fears maybe, with our worries, and we have to ask the question, what are we going to do with those? How are we going to move on? So here we are, back into the life of David as we trace the story through. Um, And as we begin to unpack this from one of the Psalms that has um, some things to say about this particular season in David's life. And so David, he's got to move on. And so he moves and goes to Nob to meet Ahimelech, the high priest. And the story tells us that when he goes to Ahimelech, even the priest, um, he trembles when he meets David and asks him, Why are you alone and why is no one with you? After parting from Jonathan, David flees from Saul's jealous anger into hiding. And he goes to see the high priest, claiming to be on something of a secret mission. He says, now one of Saul's servants was there that day, detained before the Lord. He was Doeg the Edomite. You need to remember Doeg the Edomite because we're going to come back to Doeg a little bit later in the story. And he was Saul's chief shepherd. David asked asked Ahimelech, don't you have a spear or sword here? Haven't you brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's mission was urgent? The priest replied, the sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, is here. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it. There is no sword here but that one. And David says, there is none like it. Give it to me. 
you can't help thinking that David taking possession of Goliath's sword was significant at this juncture. He's, he's running away from a bad situation. He's living under the shadow of, of Saul's jealousy. And now he has the opportunity to take with him the sword of Goliath the giant. It makes you wonder whether at this moment of fear and isolation, David is reminded of the place of a previous victory. And we all need this at times, when we face challenges or difficulties. And they come to us, don't they, in all sorts of different ways. Sometimes what you need is, is just the reminder that you got through it last time that you have faced giants in the past, that you have taken on fears and worries and anxieties. And in one way or another, you've managed to work through them to get to the place where you are now. And yes, you're in another cycle. And yes, those giants, you face them again. But in facing them this time, David does it having taken the sword of Goliath. And having done that, he's reminded of a previous victory. And I think that's a great thing to consider in this story. It's not only a great thing to consider, but it's an important thing to apply to ourselves. Think back of when you got that breakthrough last time. Consider how you overcome that other fear. Take a moment to Pick up the diary and remind yourself of the story of how you worked through those previous challenges in that relationship, around that job, through that debt. And think about how you worked through that. Ponder the victory and allow the victory to empower you for what you are facing now. But by going to Nob, uh, he was in fact endangering Ahimelech's life. Why was he doing that? Because Doeg the Edomite was present. And it's Doeg the Edomite who has now got our interest. Now Doeg, which I sort of assume is a name that's not going to come into, back into fashion anytime soon, Doeg is fiercely loyal to Saul. He's his chief shepherd, and he's not got to that position lightly. How's he worked his way up the ranks? What level of loyalty has he had to show to Saul? How has he got to this position where he is now chief shepherd? Well, he's got Saul's ear. He's also got his trust and his loyalty. And Doeg the Edomite is listening in to the conversation between David and Ahimelech, the high priest. So when we get to chapter 22 of the book of Samuel, Saul asks about the whereabouts of David and Doeg is quick to respond. The story says, now Saul heard that David and his men had been discovered and Saul was seated, spear in hand, under the tamarisk tree on the hill at Gibeah with all his officials standing at his side. 
He said to them, Listen, men of Benjamin, will the son of Jesse give you all fields and vineyards? Will he make all of you commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? Is that why you have all conspired against me? No one tells me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. That's Jonathan, of course. None of you is concerned about me or tells me that my son has incited my servant to lie in wait for me as he does today. But Doeg the Edomite, who was standing with Saul's officials, said, I saw the son of Jesse come to Ahimelech, son of Ahitub at Nob. Ahimelech inquired of the Lord for him. He also gave him provisions and the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Doeg makes sure, he's going to make sure, isn't he? He makes sure that he tells Saul that David has now got the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, in his possession. And so Saul summons Ahimelech and his entire company, asking why he decided to conspire against him by protecting David. And Ahimelech, possibly in an attempt to save himself, claimed that he was uninvolved in the controversy between these two guys, Saul and David. But Saul coldly rejects his claim and orders that he and the priests be executed. His officials refused to raise their hands against the priests and Saul turned to Doeg who carried out the executions. Saul followed that up with an attack on the city. The city of the priests and the family of the priests, men, women, were all put to the sword. Only Abiathar, Ahimelech's son, escapes and he fled to join Jonathan. And the story continues, but one son, Ahimelech, son of a Ahitub named Abiathar, escaped and fled to join David. He told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. Then David said to Abiathar, that day... Ah, that day when Doeg the Edomite was there, I knew he would be sure to tell Saul. I'm responsible for the death of your whole family. Ah, as soon as it came to mind, you know, ah, Doeg was there. He was bound to grasp me up. He was bound to, to speak to Saul. <laughs> I guess, you know, we've all been in them situations, haven't we, when we noticed out the corner of our eye that somebody overheard a conversation and, oh, sure as eggs are eggs. Yeah, that's going to do the gossip rounds. That's going to get on the merry-go-round. That information's going to get back. And this is Doeg. He's actually the subject of many rabbinical legends, the origins of which are found in part in Psalm 52 that we'll read in a moment. Those um, legends portray him in a particular way. They said that, that uh, although he died at the early age of 34, he's regarded by the rabbis as the greatest scholar of his time, a strong description being supposedly applied to him because he made everyone with whom he disputed blush. He could bring forward 300 different questions with reference to one single ritual case. His most unfortunate qualities, however, were his malice, his jealousy, and his calamitous tongue. He sounded the praise of David before Saul only in order to provoke his jealousy 
ascribing to David qualities that Saul lacked. Ah, this man, he was a true irritant. He was eaten up with this malice and jealousy. He had a tongue which was sharp and jagged, and he was prepared to step into situations in order to intentionally stir up trouble. And that's exactly what Doeg the Edomite did. No surprise then that when David comes to pen one of his psalms, one of the psalms that's attributed to this occasion where David has met with Doeg, that he has some interesting things to say. Psalm 52's introduction reads like this. For the director of music, a masculine of David, when Doeg the Edomite had gone to Saul and told him, David has gone to that house of Ahimelech. And this is how the psalm reads. Think of it from the context. This is David penning a psalm in reference to Doeg, who has just done the dirty on him of dishing him in to Saul in order to provoke further Saul's anger and jealousy. David says, Why do you boast of evil, you mighty hero? Why do you boast all day long? You who are a disgrace in the eyes of God. You who practice deceit, your tongue plots destruction. It is like a sharpened razor. Your love evil rather than good. Falsehood rather than speaking the truth. You love every harmful word, you deceitful tongue. Surely God will bring you down to everlasting ruin. He will snatch you up and pluck you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous will see and fear. They will laugh at you, saying, Here now is the man who did not make God his stronghold, but trusted in his great wealth and grew strong by destroying others. But I am like an olive tree, flourishing in the house of God. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. For what you have done, I will always praise you in the presence of your faithful people, and I will hope in your name, for your name is good. The contempt with which David held Doeg is, is almost palpable in this psalm. It's a raw rebuke of a man given over to deceit and destruction. You who practice deceit, he says, your tongue plots destruction. It's like a sharpened razor. You love evil, you love evil rather than good, falsehood rather than speaking the truth. You love every harmful word, you deceitful tongue. If David is writing this psalm any time close to his encounter with Doeg, then you can understand why his emotions are so raw and why he holds nothing back. Perhaps you've encountered something similar yourself that has caused you to hold somebody in, well, 
has put it kindly, an utter dismay at the way in which that act of betrayal cuts so deeply into your own experience and heart. And so what we have here are the raw emotions of David on display. I guess by this point he's regained some of his strength. The fugitive, the man on the run, has favour with God and even on the run he knows that God has not abandoned him. And maybe that's where we need to get to and be in our own lives, in our own walk with God. That even when we face difficulty and challenge, even when we are misunderstood or mistaken, so long as the intention and motivation of our heart comes from a good place, we know that God is there to be with us and, and to lead us and guide us. David concludes towards the end of the psalm, but, but I'm like an olive tree flourishing in the house of God. I trust in God's unfailing love. He still has the capacity to to capture and understand the nature and the heart of God towards him as a person. For what you have done, I will always praise you in the presence of your faithful people, and I will hope in your name, for your name is good. For David, the battle is ongoing. It's not over yet. The story will continue to unfold, as we'll see in further sessions. But here in the midst of it, he can somehow get past the corrosive nature of this toxic man to find hope and love in God. And somehow that's what we all need to be able to do, to get past those moments of difficulty and challenge, whether they're to do with situations or particularly, as in this context, to do with people someone who has shown themselves to be toxic in your own life. Even in the midst of all of that, David is able to find hope and peace and love in God. You can't help but think that this is a lesson we all need to learn. How do we rise above the plotters who are out to steal our joy? to robbers of our destiny, to steal our peace. God's name is good. That's what the psalm teaches us. We will put our hope in that name. We will, above all things, trust in God's unfailing love. We will, like David, learn what it means to flourish in the house of God. Doeg was a real thorn in the side of David. He was a quiet bystander of a close conversation between him and Ahimelech, the high priest. But he took that information and he used it. He used it to provoke further Saul's anger and jealousy of David. He used it with the intention of bringing David down but it didn't because the story continues and David found a place of refuge in trusting in the unfailing love of God 
in learning what it means, even in the midst of difficulty and challenge, to raise his voice in praise to the Almighty, to find hope in the name of the God that he trusts. And I think this is the lesson from this season of David's life that even in the midst of battle and challenge and difficulty, we can get to a place where we put our hope in God. I think whenever we can look to the past and, and pick up the sword of Goliath, figuratively speaking, and remind ourselves of the victories that have been won in previous times, we, we only strengthen ourselves in that other moment. And it's important that we do that, that we retell the stories of God's faithfulness, of our determination, of commitment to God even in the difficult times because what that does is it does empower and equip us for the next battle whenever that battle is going to come and whatever that battle is going to whatever shape that battle is going to take and so may you my friends be encouraged and may we each each one of us learn to neutralize the tongues of deceit by putting our faith and our trust in the unfailing love of God. And so until next time when we look further into the life of this fascinating, interesting and amazingly human character, uh, may grace and peace be with you.